Hello and welcome to The 40 Minute Mentor with me, your host, James Mitra. Here at JBM, we think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find a great mentor who you can learn from and be inspired by. So for those of you who are looking for this mentorship, we launched this podcast. In each episode, we'll be sharing career stories, advice and mentorship from some of the most inspiring people we know. And we hope that you can apply some of these learnings to your life and career. I'm always keen to get feedback, so if you have any thoughts once you've listened to this interview, just drop me a line at james at jbmc.co.uk. In today's episode of The 40 Minute Mentor, I'm joined by the awesome sustainability entrepreneur, Jenny Costa, who is the founder and CEO of the award-winning business, Rubies in the Rubble. Having started her career in finance, Jenny soon realised that her passion lay elsewhere, And after reading that one third of all food produced globally is wasted, she felt compelled to do something. So, after a visit to New Covent Garden Wholesale Fruit and Veg Market, she left with baskets full of perfectly good and yet unsold produce. Produce that would have otherwise gone to landfill. And that's how the UK's leading anti-food waste brand, Rubies in the Rubble, was founded. In 2011, Jenny started making and selling chutneys made of waste fruit and veg on a single stall in Borough Market. And now Ruby's delicious relishes and condiments are stocked by major retailers such as Waitrose, Ocado, Whole Foods and a large number of independent stores. In my conversation with Jenny, we cover some really interesting topics, including how Jenny took the leap from a lucrative career in finance to selling homemade chutneys in Borough Market, Jenny's key learnings as she takes rubies from a single market stall to a rapidly growing business with products on the shelves of supermarkets up and down the country. And Jenny's advice to fellow entrepreneurs on growing a team, building a successful culture and her approach to work-life balance. I love chatting to Jenny about rubies and hearing how her team are disrupting the food industry with their amazing products. I am a huge fan. It was also fascinating to hear her advice on how we can all do our part to tackle the food waste problem and how her team are setting the tone for it. It really was an eye-opener for me and hopefully my conversation with Jenny will inspire you to follow in her footsteps and also reduce your own food waste too. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jenny Costa. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you very much for being our 40 Minute Mentor. I thought we could kick this off as we like to with a 30 second review of your CV, if that's all right. Oh, yeah. Very welcome. Do you want me to start? Over to you. (laughs) So I was brought up on a very small farm. I'm going to start right from the start. That's cool. A very small farm on the west coast of Scotland in a very isolated area. It's the least densely populated area in Britain with my sister and my mother and father, obviously, My mother's an artist and my dad was a small farmer and we had a very sustainable sort of upbringing. We had our own water supply, we had wind turbines for electricity and as a four we did everything together. I then um, sort of off the back of that went off to university, studied maths, did a master's in mathematics and economics at Edinburgh and then finished it in Hong Kong University and moved to London and just followed everyone else into the city that was sort of did my course. I had no idea about finance, but I got a job in a hedge fund and signed up without really thinking about what or why. And I think very soon after being in there, I mean, I'd never read the FT in my life. I sort of realized I was this wasn't really for me, but I, I loved it, learned masses, but kept on thinking, 
I've got to do something that I'm really proud of. And it was that stage I started searching and then um, and then started researching food waste and, and here I am, Rubies the and the Rubble was born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, there's plenty in there for us to, to unpack over the course of this conversation. But I have read before that it was a reading around the topic and early morning visit to, is it New Covent Garden yeah. uh, market that got you interested in finding a solution to, to the food waste problem. So I'm interested, was sustainability always a passion of yours from an early age? Uh, kind of what made you look into that in the very in the first instance? Yeah, I think I think it was always a sort of mealtime discussion, sustainability. A lot of families talked about sort of the news or politics and things, and I was pretty clueless on that. But, but in terms of sustainability, it was really core to our family discussions and also I think being brought up on a farm where especially with food I'm seeing food production and you're seeing how much work and energy and resource goes into creating delicious food to get it to market to your plate and then in the discovery of realizing how much is then wasted I just couldn't add it up Uh, sort of researching and reading that a third of what was produced globally is discarded and 60% they say is avoidable accounts for 10% of greenhouse gases in the UK and we're sending a lot of it to landfill which when food is sent to landfill it has a methane gas and so all of this I sort of unpacked it and I was so shocked by it I hadn't even thought that food waste was an issue or something that we were doing at such a scale and it was financially had such an impact resourcefully had had a huge impact and also put on that that agriculture is the largest single contributor to greenhouse gases and at the same time, we're thinking by 2050, we need to double our food supply chain to feed the 9 billion expected on our planet. And yet being so wasteful with what we currently had that we couldn't even manage what we've got. And especially in developed countries, I feel like we've lost this connection with food and seeing it as a precious natural resource that should be cherished. And it was only a couple of generations ago where you would never have been seen wasting food and it was a sort of very ugly and uncouth thing to do. And now it's almost flipped the other way of we can afford to be wasteful and we've become that affluent that you can just chuck food. And really, Rubies in the Rubble was a fun food brand um, that reduced food waste in the very makings of it. So we make condiments from fruit and veg that would otherwise be discarded but also that it was a celebratory brand around food and let's try and change the way we think about it and see it as this precious resource again and be connected again that it it came out of the ground and it was a natural thing that was cleaned up and put on the shelf and make people try and think about it in a different way again. I love that. And I think some of the facts that you just mentioned are quite terrifying really, aren't they? And it's great that, well, it's great to see, and we'll come on to talk about your successes, but it's wonderful to see how other businesses is doing and that there seems to be a huge appetite to kind of tackle this amongst society now. There's definitely a wave of food food Mm. waste. This is a I kept on thinking that the wave was three years ago and I was living in a bubble, but just now it's sort of people are really starting to understand the need to start addressing it. Yeah, I think we can't really ignore it much longer, can we? Good stuff. You alluded to your earlier career in finance. I just wanted to come back to that because taking a... That big leap of going it alone, I guess I did it myself with, with JBM almost seven years ago. And you've gone from a, you know, what was a lucrative finance career. I know we know lots of people that, that want to work in hedge funds, but then you've gone from doing that to selling chutneys and condiments on a stall in, in borough market. So how did you approach that transition from, from going from a corporate career to starting your own business? And how did you ensure that you could survive in those early weeks, months? Yeah, I think everyone starts businesses in very different ways, depending on your character. I'm very slapdash. I'm not a planner. I'm quite a, a doer, I suppose. 
And when I started researching and I knew I had this itch and this this want to create something of my own or do something that I really cared about. And the more I started researching, I just thought, I've got to, got to give things a go. So I signed up to a local market within, this must have been two weeks of ever first reading about food waste. And I was still working at the time, it was back in November 2010, and did a market, made a load of product, started talking to farmers, got a load of surplus fruit and veg. And after that market, I was like, I was buzzing. And when we made enough to have lunch, but it was sort of like so exciting, feeling like people were buying something that you produced and you knew exactly where it was coming from. I was also, I think I was really fortunate. I was 25 at the time. I had no mortgage, no family. And I kept on thinking, if I'm in this job and doing something that I'm not passionate about when I'm 40 or 45, I'll be really disappointed that I've stayed for security of cash. And I think from my sort of classmates as well when I look back I finished university in 2010 and it was the in the middle of the financial crisis it was a huge shift I think in mindset for people looking for jobs because no longer I mean money devalued overnight sort of and 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 suddenly people felt like I'm not just going to work for the cash and I want something more meaningful I think you see that more and more that even looking at the circular economy, that things have changed. It's not a linear, let's just get bigger and better. It's let's see how we can be most fulfilled. And even the way we consume now, people want to buy into brands that they understand the story and they see a purpose. So I think there's a huge shift in what people want out of life as well. But yeah, it was was a bit of that. And also from the fear side of it, I get a lot of people saying like, was it not really scary leaving? And I thought about it quite a bit, but I I think... When you strip it right back, the only fear is actually the fear of failure, which basically is the fear of, yes, I might lose a bit of cash, but it's really the fear of people laughing. And I remember leaving work and people were like, what, you're going off to make chutneys? Like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) That's something you do when you're 70. But I, I was so excited and I thought if I'm not doing it just because I think that people might think I'm stupid and if it all flops they'll be like oh there is that girl that tried to do something different then it's a ridiculous reason it's not a reason and I think my old boss as well said one one thing to me which really encouraged me he said that whatever you do go full-heartedly at it for two years give yourself a timeline and if it completely flops in two years time you won't sort of constantly question for 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 years. Oh, that sh- that could have worked if I'd done this or done that, or if I'd had a bit more resource, or if I'd put a bit more time into it. Because you'll you'll come back with a story that's actually positive in any way. Because you'll just say, I tried it and it failed because of X, Y, and Z. I learned all these different skill sets and I'm moving on and I'm so much more employable now. Totally, I couldn't agree more. I think. When I was setting up the business, I had a lot of naysayers and people saying, you're only 25, you don't know enough people to make it successful. If anything, that was more, for me, that was the fire in the belly. I, I was like, I will prove you wrong. Oh, so- um, yeah, so so I, the fear of failure, I think, is... Is, is was definitely there but it was more a case of actually no I'm <laughs> going to use that I'm going to use that yeah but also I think you're totally right I think you you learn more in six months uh, as an entrepreneur trying to build a business than you would in, possibly in years in a corporate role and I think that that in itself makes 
it worth doing if you have the right idea and if you if you have the kind of energy and the you know the resilience to to, to get through the highs and lows that come with and it. And as you say, a six month period is it's almost like go hard and fail fast if you're going to yes, fail. Yeah, don't sort of do it no on the side. No, when to pull the ripcord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. definitely amazing. Well, you talked a, a bit earlier about how we're seeing this sort of change in in, in the way people are looking at sustainability and food waste. But I guess it wasn't for consumers in 2011. It it wasn't massively on the consciousness so how much of a challenge was it for you launching a product in this space and did you have to do a lot of work in terms of winning over the man and woman on the street so when we started i started going along to wholesale large fruit and veg markets in london and they ran from around midnight till 6 a.m and speaking to city of london and they kept saying we've got around 30 to 40 tons every year that we're discarding on these markets and a lot of it is because it's going to retailers and they want to know that they've got on their mangoes for example a five to ten day life to sit on their shop shelf before selling and going into the consumer's home and supermarkets will be around 20 to 25 days life Uh, and they kept saying we know that there's a lot of good produce that's being discarded but we need to do something with it that day and so they supported us in putting a kitchen on site and it was interesting we had a lot of support from big organisations that saw the problem so supermarkets farmers the city of London markets but the, the general consumer on the street, you're right, it was such a hippie notion at the time. It was sort of bin, the, the, article, the first article I ever read about food waste was about bin divers. And it struck me, I got so excited because it made me think about the food supply chain and thinking you've got unpredictable weather creating food on one end. And then the other side, you've got unpredictable humans deciding what they're going to eat for dinner at 4pm. And bang in the middle, supermarkets providing everything in ample. And with food being perishable, what happens to the, the imbalance? So it was with bin divers that made me start thinking, ah, like, why is this that's so much waste? So it was a really hippie notion. Um, when we first started at Borough Market, I actually never used to tell people the story. I had one liner on the back saying, waste not, want not, in the back of the jar. But I was so strong on thinking, if this is going to be a successful business, our products have to be banging. You can't sell a product on the story. First and foremost, I create food, and it's got to be first in class. It's got to win awards. It's got to taste better than anything else on the shelf. And so our main thing was just, and that was what was great with being in the markets as well, as you're watching people tasting it, you're hearing their feedback the next week when they came back and they tried it with different things. We were constantly adjusting different flavors as well. So it was really a test bed, um, but it was very much about we're going to make really good tasting food. Our backstory is our purpose, really. Your reason for buying it is probably predominantly, it's got to be the taste for buying it regularly. And then the backstory, hopefully you'll fall in love with the story. And it was only until 2013, Tesco's released their food waste figures in all the newspapers. Everyone went berserk. Food waste started to hit the headlines. And then we became a little bit more vocal. And now we are a lot more vocal and pack. Great, as you should be. <laughs> That's great. Well, you've gone, you've had this incredible story from, from market store in Borough Market to stocking your products in some of the most well-known retailers there are. I guess it would be lovely for our, our listeners to hear a bit about that evolution of the business of Rubies and the Rubble from those early days and some of the challenges that you've had to overcome to get to where you are now. So our main challenges have been on the production side oddly not so much the sales side we've been really fortunate because food waste has been on a bit of a wave and and when these when it started to hit the headlines in 2013 waitrose got in touch with us tesco's got in touch with us saying that we've got to have your products we were never going to we, we and still aren't really with with 
our traditional range, we were never the right price point for our Tesco's or had the ability to scale up fast. Um, so we started with Waitrose. They helped us putting even barcodes on our products and, and scaled us sort of in eight stores, 16 stores, 24, 200. And it grew with Waitrose. Yeah, we had a really interesting, I mean, from from the sales side of it, we had to eat, came, to touch, got in touch with us. So we did all of their onion chutneys and their sandwiches. Then Virgin came, got in touch and said, we have waste apples. And we thought, that's going to be a tiny amount. Like, why, don't you collect, why don't you check how many you've got and they we collected them all for three months on their trains and came back and said, every week we've got around 2,000 apples we're wasting. And they were amazing that they were approaching us saying, we've got to solve this problem. We do 92 journeys up and down from Glasgow to London every day, and there's going to be waste either end. And so we trained the train managers to put back the apples that were good. And then when they got a ton down at Euston, which is about every 10 days, we turn it into what we, we, we made a recipe called the West Coast Apple Chutney, which is now in all of their standard cheese sandwiches on their trains and mm-hmm. on first class. And, and it's all a co-branded. It's, it's a lovely sort of, it's a really nice circular project that we did with them but we had a lot of companies getting in touch Marriott have always been a fantastic customer and most of our sales is actually in out of homes it's in the restaurant side just because the volume was a lot bigger but it's just been recently that we've launched we launched a plant-based mayo range last year mainly because I realized I was brought up on chutneys and relishes my mum used to make them from anything we had left over in the garden and I assumed and I love them we never had ketchups and things when I was growing up and just assumed everyone else is going to love them. You're missing out. Like, I'm going to convert everyone. And then realize no one is going to switch over. People were always like, I love what you guys do as a brand. I never eat chutneys. Like, <laughs> what do I do with that? So we realized that to hit our target audience, we needed to make products that they were eating every day. Um, so the, the plant-based mayo was a great success. We launched that with Honest Burger, Eat, and Sainsbury's and Planet Organic and Whole Foods. That was last year, um, and it's just been growing ever since. And then this year, we're really excited to be launching into the ketchup market, which I've been dying to get into (laughs) for a while, but terrified at the same time. And you kindly brought me some, and I can't wait to try it. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait for you to try it. We've, We've spent a year and a half, we've teamed up with the second largest ketchup manufacturer in Europe. I spent a year and a half developing the flavor to taste like the nation's favorite, but we've substituted the two biggest ingredients, which is water and sugar, for surplus pears. So it's from a cooperative of pear farmers, and we've made a really high concentrate of pear puree. And I think it's fantastic, wow. but um, yeah, give it a go. And I love the fact you call it condiments with a conscience. And I, I hope <laughs> everyone will go and put their standard ketchup down and, and get this because it looks fantastic. It over. <laughs> um, amazing. Oh, it sounds, sounds so good. So I guess where is Ruby and the Rubbles up to at the moment in terms of the size of the team? And I'm keen to come on to your crowdfunding in a minute as well. Yeah. So we are, we, I mean, for us, it feels like we've had a huge shift in the last six months. We were four people. Um, so we've now out, outsourced all of our production. We work with four different manufacturers and a handful of different farmers. Um, and then we have our own processing unit. The main slice of the team has always been in operations, making sure that our, we had surplus and it was true waste and it was in the right place, turned into a format that the factories could then process it. And now in the last six months, we've grown the team to 13 of us and really pivoted the, the team to bringing on a lot of people in sales. 
going on quite an aggressive. I think I think it's the change of being in chutneys and relishes to going to mainstream condiments. And I've now been doing this for six years, so I'm like, let's you know, let's really shift the gears and make a difference. And especially with the ketchup, we've we've just launched in Hicks Group. We've launched in a load of different independent pub groups across London, Alchemist pure filth like lots of different places and we're we're just ex- and actually it's gone in marriott nationwide now they've kicked out heinz and put this in across all Fantastic. hotels so it's, it's um it's really exciting seeing it coming to market and now it's just uh let's let's grow it further brilliant well you recently successfully completed your crowdfunding round ah, yes. did, and i was delighted to be one of the investors ah, thank you um, why did you decide to to raise money and I guess through Cedism and, and what are the longer term aims in terms of using that funding? Where do you want to go to? Again, I think everyone, depending on the type of business that you start, people either need cash up front and, and they want to get some cash before they, they start. I, because I was never really sure, I started with a passion and then it turned into a business. I was very hesitant to take on investment more for the responsibility of, of needing to make sure you really uh, performed for other people. And we, we we took on a tiny bit of investment with a great group called Mustard Seed Impact in 2015, which was 120K or 100K. And it helped us just uh, rebrand. We did a little bit of, we hired one or, one or two other people. And then when we created our mainstream condiments, we thought we've got to have some cash behind this. We've got to be able to market, we've got to be able to grow our sales team to be able to get to a sale where our, where we can break even. And so we've we've actually just it's part the Cedars was part of a raise of two point two million, which is just closing at the moment. So it's an exciting step of having to having been a and I I don't actually as a company want to change our attitudes. I love the feeling of actually having no money because I think it makes you really imaginative and entrepreneurial. You think of things in a different way. You don't do the things that big businesses do. And often when you've got cash in your back pocket, you're like, oh, well, what does everyone else do? I should do that. And I should be putting that money into that. And, but it, it's mainly just for hiring the team and getting the right, getting more people involved. So it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a change. And Cedars really, I thought Cedars as a platform for crowdfunding do things really well. I think they look after their investors well. It's very professionally ran as well. They're very good at choosing companies and they put that quite a lot of rigor into that. But we really wanted to get people that had known about the brand and supported us along the journey behind us. And it's been fantastic getting chefs on board as well and some of our buyers as well. Brilliant. So it's, it's been a really good, feel-good sort of thing to do. And it just, it just got Ruby's out there as well, yeah. forced us to do a little video. And I love the video. The I, I watched that yesterday and I think it's fantastic. It's really <laughs> good. some odd moments in it. But it <laughs> I think you may have another career there, don't you? That's beautifully active, very yeah. creative. <laughs> If you haven't seen it, I would check it out because it's, it's very it's very good fun. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about the, the the culture you're creating, which which we can come on to talk about in a minute. I think one of the things that anyone investing or anyone sort of consuming the product will see that you have this strong social mission. And as you alluded to earlier, and we, we talk to candidates every single day who are much more driven nowadays by the mission of a business than they are the paycheck. So that comes across very strongly. And you built this business with waste products. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Has your drive to grow the business, has there ever been a, a clash or a tension with that 
very important social mission because I guess there comes commercial reality and then, you know, actually sticking true to those kind of core principles. Have you had to balance that? Has that been difficult, especially as you've had to scale up and start to work with bigger corporate businesses? Yeah, I think that's the the joy of running a business with a purpose as well. And I think actually more and more on it is the future that every business will have social or, or, or environmental purpose right at the core of it not as an add-on but sort of that affects the way that they do business day to day but it, it does give challenges the whole time but I think similarly to any business um, the businesses that do very well are the ones that really know very clearly why they exist and what their purpose is and it might not be a social purpose but whatever that purpose is that everything is in line to that and that should actually affect the way that you do day-to-day business it, it affects who you hire affects who you decide to do business with your supply chain the way you work the way you sell things in the packaging the, the design everything so I think for us it's quite easy to sometimes get swept away with opportunities and get out of line with actually, you know, this is where we're going and we're going to create opportunities that fit with the direction that we're going rather than weaving around. So trying to keep everything sort of stupidly simple and every day thinking, does this fit into what our purpose is and who we are as a brand? There's definitely been, there's been moments we had somebody advising us when we were quite small who was wanting to invest and say, You'll do really, really well. This is obviously a topic that everyone's talking about, but just take out the fact that you're using surplus and just talk about food waste and make really nice natural products. And you can expand so much quicker and you'll just be an advocate brand. And I can understand we would have grown a lot quicker. Our processing on sourcing is a really tricky part of our business. We have to hand peel a lot of things. The time of sourcing things and freezing and storing is very complicated, but it's the reason we existed. And I always think I didn't take fruit and veg to make fruit condiments. I started condiments to take fruit and veg and I've got to keep it true to why why we started in the first place and I think it's often very dangerous to lose touch with that very core reason why you started in the first place no I think anyone listening will be inspired by that and um, I think there's probably a lot of people that listening that that want to do their own bit in terms of how other than of course buying and consuming your delicious products but um, do you have some advice for anyone listening that wants to do their bit for reducing food waste and what are the sorts of things that we can all do to make a bit more of a difference I obviously passionate waste in general is a is a big thing that I'm passionate about, and it's just that feeling of consuming for an unnecessary reason or not really caring about how you're consuming as well. In terms of food, particularly, I think it's a very simple thing. It's just changing your attitudes and thinking a little bit more, being aware of what you're doing. So, or sound like a granny when I say this, but like know what's in your fridge. Like be be very conscious of what you've got in your cupboard before you actually go out shopping. Thinking of what you're wanting to create, but thinking, well, what have I got to create that rather than sticking so rigidly to recipes and thinking, I've got to have those peas and I've got to you know, start with that bit of chicken. But if you've got something else sitting there, you, you could play with that instead. And then trying to, I would say, trying to eat in season better for you, but also you're naturally utilizing things when they're in abundance. So I would say those things and then use your freezer really well. It sounds so pathetic, but a lot of people never use the freezer. You can put, like if you've got a, you brought a lovely loaf of bread on a Sunday, you know, you're not going to be around for half the week. While it's lovely and fresh, chop half of it, put it in the, in the freezer and you can just take it out another day or even take it out by the slice. Um, similarly with the sort of little things like red wine, chuck them in at ice trays. And then every time you're making a nice stew or something or any 
soup just pop a couple of ice (laughs) just lots of the little things that I think or you're going on holiday and you have all these fruit and veg and make soups and then freeze them straight away and you'll find it really enjoyable as well Um, we just started making lollies from the fruit that's starting to go off and my daughter uh, she's three and a half we think the the sort of lollies you buy and they're they're so sweet they're full of sugar and actually instead you just get whatever fruit you've got chuck it in a blender maybe a bit of natural yogurt that is an awesome lolly yeah and it's yeah, and it's enjoyable as it well. Is. It's just no, about right. being creative. And similarly with, I think with your packaging, with clothing and everything, it's just being mindful of thinking, I don't want to be somebody that just consumes and chucks, but when I consume, I'm going to make sure I get something really good and I'm going to love it. And and that every, I suppose every purchase is a vote. It's the way that you want to see the world yeah. changing. No, I, I, some great advice there. Thank you. We're going to move on a bit to another topic. But before I do, I wanted to ask what your favourite condiment or chutney or relish is from your product i know it's a bit of a mean question but do you have a favorite yeah i do <laughs> i use our spicy tomato relish pretty much every day okay. i'm obsessed with it i have it with my avocados and toast i put it with my poached eggs in the morning i put it with hummus we all, everyone always takes the piss out of me and say you're swirling it in with hummus again because i always <laughs> say it. it's just like so good or on a salad and things and then um i, I would like i'm such a I'm so excited, I suppose, for our ketchup that that's one that I'm taking everywhere I go. I'm really excited. I can see Perry in the corner also eyeing it up for (laughs) for lunches over the coming week. Brilliant. Well, I I wanted to come on to, I mean, this is the 40 Minute Mentor and you've already given some amazing advice for for those listening. But I wanted to come back actually to the earlier part of your career. Uh, You obviously left a lucrative career in finance, followed your passion, launched this business. And we speak to lots of people that are considering making an entrepreneurial move, whether it's setting up their own firm or joining a startup. Have you got some advice for for people that are going through that thought process at the moment? What would you say to them? I think my biggest thing is not to overthink things too much. I've got friends that are stopping to, to make a career change. And I sort of panic for them because sometimes there's so much thought on like what I should be doing and what's the right place for me. And, you know, I want to make sure that this is the correct move. And it's very hard to sometimes answer those questions. I think sometimes people almost freeze and think, well, how don't I know what I'm interested in? Or like, why don't I should know these things in life? And sometimes your gut is stronger than anything in your brain. And I'm, I'm a huge person that goes on my gut with things. And I'm moving for things that just feel right. And I think having a good team around you, something that you believe in, and being true as well to whether you feel like you're an entrepreneur, uh, which actually have huge failings in so many different different areas if that but that's your character um that you love to start things and you you love the early days as well of trying something out and the sort of messiness of it or you're somebody that's an operator and actually you need to have a bit of structure and you like to start something that's that's already taken off but you're joining it and you're adding so much value and you've got team around you already and trying to understand like first of all what category you fit into and going from there because i think some people the word entrepreneur even sounds glamorous and people get excited by the idea of that I'm going to start my own business but actually it's not glamorous it's not at all is it yeah <laughs> and it's hellish but also the the characteristics of an entrepreneur are sometimes not for everyone and I think being really honest with yourself yeah. I think it's a conversation we have on a weekly basis almost everyone we speak to these days wants to go work for the next 
startup or tech business or scale up and and we're very candid having seen lot having placed lots of people into that world but also seen it when it's not quite worked and i think it's there's a duty there to to actually say well the reality is is some different to sometimes to what people think and you really need to you need to ask people that made that transition yeah sometimes you just need to go try it for yourself to work it out but if you know you are a certain type of person that needs certain things then you need to be sure before you take that leap of faith. And sometimes even writing a really short list of like, what do I really value in life? And some of them it might be like, I know at this time in life, I need a good salary. I want to be flexible in my work. And I want, you know, whatever they are, and I need people around yeah. me, or, you know, I want to start something that I can run with. We'll answer quite a lot of questions. And then it's just about finding the right team and, and a product or a company that's doing something that really makes you tick. Totally agree. Do you feel that your early career in, in finance, were there transferables there that, that really helped you when you set up Rubies in the Rubble? It was my first job out of uni, so it sort of felt so early days. But I think the main thing was in learning that every business is just a group of people trying to, trying to join together to do one thing well. And before starting work, you see especially some of the bigger businesses and you assume that everyone are geniuses inside there and it's so confusing and, and what are they trying to do and that they never make mistakes. And I think it was just getting that confidence of just, it's always just a group of people, they mess up, they're just trying to do one thing and do it well. And that was the main thing that I could take away from it. And then the other things of just, which was just really growing up, but realizing the importance of preparation and being on time and researching and doing things properly and if you are going to do something well do it really well yeah definitely you mentioned how all businesses are really a collective of people trying to hopefully pull in the uh, the same direction i think we've seen from our clients that the best ones are the ones that have great people again sort of aligned by a vision how have you approached building your team it's clearly grown quite considerably in the last sort of 12 18 months yeah and what advice would you give to i guess entrepreneurs or people that run small businesses that are looking to recruit people and grow teams uh, I and mean, we're still really early days and learning a lot on this but i think it's the most important part of the business you get one bad egg and it takes ages to so then find another one and replace and, and it's tiring time consuming and then training people up as well. So I think that that interview process is so key. I've always felt like, especially with our business and, and wanting people to have a purpose before they join and feeling like as the business grows, to keep that purpose alive, you can't be the only one with it. You need to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Um, so bringing people with different skill sets and different personalities, but I've always felt like first and foremost, I want them to have the same of ethos or the same understanding as as me so that it's not something that they have to learn on the job but they come into that with that same mindset of yeah I'm really bought into what you're trying to do because I think as we say say a company is just the people inside it and those people if your company if your purpose is really strong in your company you can't have half of the company or half of your team not bought into that yeah and then I think as well we've just started sort of understanding or doing a little bit of work on making sure that culture and happiness and that everyone's feeling like they're constantly learning and they're feeling fulfilled by their work and they're being rewarded in the right ways and it's all a brand new learning curve for me but I'm starting to get quite a lot of mentorship on it and we're doing quite a lot of external work and getting people in to help us because I believe as well and from my own sort of style that I work best when I'm like on fire and I'm feeling like everything's 
really, you know, your your personal life is being looked after, you're feeling well supported, you're rested in the right way, and you've got people around you that you can lean on. So making sure, I think, the time, and it's a luxury to be able to do that. I think when we were really small and there's three or four of us, it was easy to stay close, but you didn't have time to sort of take time out. But naturally, you were close as a unit. But as you grow, you lose that closeness, but you need to put that time back in of ensuring that everyone is feeling like they can work 100%. Definitely, definitely. It sounds like you're creating something very special there, but you're, you're thinking about all the right sorts of things. Are there a few words that would describe the culture you're trying to create or the ones that you have at the moment? We keep on talking about the Ruby's way, which sounds really cheesy and, and a bit naff, but it's we're at the stage where we're putting a lot more structure around the business. And it's very easy to read about what other people are doing or take a structure from another business that might not be suited. And I think that the one thing that small businesses have against any large business is this creativity and the ability to do things differently and approach things differently and just keeping that alive as we grow. So making sure that it's a really transparent business, that we're constantly sharing things with, like even this this fundraise, that we're making sure that everyone in the team is aware of it and how it makes a difference for the business. And then you know, just allowing everyone in the group to be part of the change. We're, yeah. we're a really... There's a lot of like hard things with being such a tiny team because you're all really stretched. But there's a luxury as well that you create the culture that you're wanting to have in a business and the, the structure that you're wanting as well. So I see this sort of 12 that we've got as a as, it's a really precious time as well to think what's the business that we want to be? How are we going to create the, the, the structure around yeah, that? Yeah, great. That sounds sounds so good. And I think including the team within the, the creation of that culture is for me the, the best way to do it and, and the way that you'll have people fully bought in and then I think that comes across when you hire new people because they were part of creating it they can really talk about it with passion and uh, you know I think that's exciting for anyone coming into a business as well brilliant well good luck with all the exciting things that you have <laughs> coming up particularly around evolving that culture and improving it and all the exciting things on the horizon we are almost at the end of this session i'm sorry to say but i wanted to just come on to mentorship given the name of this podcast we were a big believer on the importance of it you've already given some incredible advice uh, for our listeners but do you have a mentor yourself and that's helped you on this entrepreneurial journey i'd be interested in your your take on it i've got a team of people that I can lean on for different things even our chairman who I feel like I can pick up the phone and and ask any sorts of questions I think mentorship as well a lot of people especially in bigger organizations think of it as somebody within the company and I think that is great for work and skill sort of sharing but having somebody external and outside is really key as well and it's something that at the moment we are trying just with the network that we've got really to encourage everyone in the business now I think 50% of people in Ruby's have got their own mentors which um, which really helps and just somebody a bit further on the journey that has a bit of time on their hands and it's not formal thing but somebody they can pick up the phone with or have a lunch with or run through a plan that they were thinking to pitch to Sainsbury's or whatever it is but it is something that I'm still sort of struggling with and I can see the power of it as well but making sure that it's useful that it's not a time lag but it's something that and it's also somebody that has the time to be able to support you in the ways that you need we're also creating an advisory board at the moment which I'm so excited to have (laughs) great that's one of the best things that I ever did at JBM it's been so helpful to have that you know people that you are inspired by but most importantly who can keep you honest and give you an external view and 
yeah for us that's been one of the best things and it's helped us incredible amounts amazing great uh, i think that'll be a a hugely beneficial brilliant well jenny thank you so much for your time Um, it's been such a pleasure the last very last question is if we are to catch up and i'm sure we will in in 12 months or so what do you hope to have achieved for rubies in the rubble in that time and also personally uh, so for rubies in the rubble, our next three years is really focused on ketchup and then mayonnaise. With the ketchup, the ketchup market in the UK is around 700 million. We want to take 3% of that wow. in, in the next three years. So, so our focus is really growing and not in retail. We don't look. So in the next 12 months, we don't look to go into retail. We really want to grow our presence in the coolest pubs, the nicest burger joints, and get people trialing it, taking the risk out of it, then purchasing it on the shelf, getting to know the product. I'd love in the next 12 months to have a real rooting in some great burger Brilliant. joints across London. I wish you all the very best for that. Thank journey. you very it's much. Been so much fun. Thanks so much for being here. And uh, everyone at JBM wishes you all the best for the year ahead. Thank you. Cheers. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the 40 Minute Mentor brought to you by JBM. So if you'd like to tell us what you thought of the podcast or find out how we can help you with your next career move, please do get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you.